Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. We're going to uh, dive into the word and I want you to always be able to go to your word, look it up for yourself. Let's say our declaration like we mean it. Are you ready? Here we go. I will constantly guard my heart and align it with God's holy word, for everything I do flows from it. Amen. All right, so today, if you would, turn to your Bibles in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. We're going to read about 15 uh, plus-ish verses of Scripture, and um, we'll pick up in, in our third message in this series, A Hill to Die On. While you're turning there or pulling it up on your device, um, this is our third message. The first message uh, was the hill that we as a church cannot uh, let the enemy take is number one, the word of God. We cannot allow the word of God to be changed. We cannot allow the word of God to be subverted uh, to uh, cancel culture, uh, contemporary culture, we have to maintain that the word is our standard, the end. The second thing, the second message that, um, that I brought to you guys was the sp- gifts of the spirit. Like we cannot allow that to be a hill that the enemy takes and throw the gifts of the spirit out of the church. We have to keep that hill alive and we have to keep the gifts of the spirit operating in the church it's the fuel by which the church operates and so as we talk today I'm going to be honest with you I did not want to preach this message today and uh, the reason is not that I'm scared to preach this message or anything like that but this message that I'm going to preach Uh, to you today, which is really on the sanctity of sexuality, is one of those messages that as you get into it, there's so much um, information, you can actually begin to get information overload. Uh, A message that is very simple as we go back to what was our first hill that we cannot allow the enemy to take? The Word of God. It's really simple when you go back to the Word of God. But man has always taken the word and made it so uh, um, convoluted and just inflates it. And, you know, the Jews, they would take the law that God gave and they would inflate it until it was, you know, enormous. And so the message is very simple when you go back to the text, the, the original idea that God has. But now when you look at culture, when you look at sex, it's so convoluted. When you, and, and, and don't freak out, I promise you. Some, there's a, the church needs to talk about the sanctity of sex. The reason that the enemy has taken it and run with it is because the church has not talked about it. And, you know, and we've, we've allowed the enemy to do so many things that the church was supposed to do, but he's going to pervert it every time. 
And so, you know, there is a way to talk about this in a, in a mixed company and with multi-ages of, of, of people in the room. I promise you I'll be tactful in doing that. But what has happened is you would have to literally be living on an island by yourself to not be uh, disturbed at how when you turn the TV on, like you cannot turn on a show. Like, guys, do y'all remember back in the day? Now, there's a generation in this room that doesn't remember what I'm about to say. But do you remember it back in the day when they would say a, a, uh, what we would consider a curse word on television? Uh, like, you know, like it was a big deal if they said the S word or some word that was like, we, you know, I was like, ooh. Now, dude, you cannot turn a show on that they're not pushing an agenda. It's either a political agenda or a sexual agenda or a whatever or a racial agenda. And it's like there are times that Shay and I, we're like, we just would love to sit down and watch a show. You know, just the good old ha ha. That was funny show back in the day when we had some of those sitcoms that were hilarious. But now literally everything that you turn on is going to have an agenda. And when you turn it on, you begin to see like the, the perversion in it. And it's presented as if that's the norm. And if you think differently than that, you are a bigot or you are a racist or you are a whatever. But, but you're outside of the norm. And it's like, man, it burdens my heart that that's where we are in society. Now, I'm fixing to say something to you. And I believe that... Um, that it's, it might come as a shock to you and you might even disagree with it. But if you think that there's going to be a revival in the nation and everybody is going to go back to uh, Christian values and that the majority of our nation is, is uh, we're going to reject those ideas, it's not happening. I know that is going to go across the grain of some folks. But the scripture is very clear. And you need to understand the time frame in which you and I were born into the earth. We weren't born in the first century. We weren't born in the 15th century. We were born into this time. And there is a time for us to operate as a church. When I look back and, and um, I remember I was having a conversation with the Lord. And I'm like, God, I, just, I, I wish I could have been born in another time. Because we live in a, in a terrible, perverted time. And the Lord just took me back. And he's like, what are you talking about? It was perverted when Paul was planting the church in Ephesus. Most of the New Testament was written as a correction to culture. And telling the church how we operate outside of culture. Most of the New Testament, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, uh, Ephesus, Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy. And I could go on and on. And he said, it's no different now than it was then. Like, 
But you and I have been born in this time and in this era to be a light to the darkness. And I want to share this quote with you from Charles Dickens. It's from the tale of two cities. And it says, it was the best of times, but it was the worst of times. Does that feel like us? It was the age of wisdom But it was the age of foolishness. Stop. Don't read ahead. Just listen to me. It was the age of wisdom. Guys, we are smarter than we've ever been. But do you see foolishness everywhere? It was the age of wisdom and the age of foolishness. It was the age of epic belief and it was the epic of incredulity. In other words, it was the epic of like, we have so much out here to believe in, but yet... There are so many people who don't believe. It says it was the season of light and it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, but it was the winter of despair. And I'm telling you what, this is no different than what the word of God says. There are two things that are going to happen in the end times. Which I believe we are living somewhere on that spectrum. I don't know where we are. We know that we're not way down here at the end. Of the end times. We're somewhere at the beginning of the end of times. And so it at the end times we know that there are two things that are going to happen. In Joel 2, 28 and 29, we know that Joel says there is going to be in the last days a great outpouring. Yay! I mean, that sounds exciting. There's going to be a great outpouring. There's going to be dreams and visions. Men and women and every echelon of society are going to be included in the great outpouring that is going to be taking place of God's Spirit. And we know there, is going, there are going to be great and massive numbers of people that come to the Lord. Praise God. That is something that's exciting and At the same time, there is going to be a great falling away. Paul tells us in in, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and 2 Timothy chapter 3 that there is going to be a great, a massive falling away. There are people that are going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure. They're going to be debaucherous. They're going to be idolatrous. They're going to turn on one another. Best friends are going to betray each other. I'm telling you, I've seen these things happen in my life personally. So at the same time, there's this dichotomy. There's this, on one hand, you have a great awakening that's happening and over here you have a great falling away that's taking place that is the era that you and I are going to live in it is the great season of light yet it is a great season of darkness and when we see it getting dark I don't know about you but I tend to get overwhelmed with that but Here's the hope in darkness that while there is darkness, we have the opportunity to shine the brightest that we ever have. I'm telling you, we have the opportunity to shine brighter than we ever have. I truly believe that there is a supernatural outpouring of the anointing that is going to come on the church like you and I haven't seen in our lifetime because we're going to need it to be that light in the darkness. So there's, on one hand, I'm telling you, hey, there's good news. On the other hand, I'm telling you, it's not so good news, but it's still good news because at the end of the day, you and 
and I are going to be the light. We are going to be the influencers. And the church is going to go forward. And the church is going to be powerful. And at the same time, all hell is going to be breaking loose around us. The church is in need. Come on. The church is in need of the Holy Spirit. And if I could just go old school right now for a second. The church is in need of the Holy Ghost now more than ever. The church is in need of being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because I'm telling you. It is not going to get better in the world. It's not. So every time you and I walk out that door, every time you walk on to the property, wherever your job is, you are going to need to be operating under the power of the Holy Spirit just to exist out there. But you and I can be the light in that darkness. We do not have to shrink back because Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And if He is not in you, I, I, I encourage you to welcome Holy Spirit in all of His fullness. Whether you ex- uh, understand Him or not, welcome Him in all of His fullness into your life because you're going to need Him. Amen? Yeah. I want to share with you today as I'm talking about this, that As things are not going to get better, but they're going to get better. It's kind of that, you know, both sides of the coin kind of thing. And this is our moment. We are living in a time today where we, we, uh, culture is basically embraced sovereignty of self. I want to say it again. Our culture basically has embraced the mindset Of the sovereignty of self. The church has also embraced that mindset. The church does not want to be corrected. The church does not want to be uh, enlightened. And they, you know, I, I have been on this thing lately. I don't know where the Lord's going with it. But I'm like, you know, the internet has made everybody an expert of everything. You, it, I just wish you understood how many people over the course of my life have to, told me what I should preach, how I should preach, how I shouldn't preach, how I should do this and that. And it's like, hang on a second, I'm sorry, but I am an expert in my field. I'm not being arrogant. I'm an expert in my field. I'm licensed in my field. I have a degree in my field. I do this every single day. I don't mean to demean your time with God or your time in the word with God, but I'm an expert. Does that mean I know everything? No, because the doctors will tell you we've done all we can do and we don't know what else we can do. But the internet has made everybody a theologian. Everybody a theologian. Now, how is it that we treat the church like the redheaded stepchild? No offense to any redheads here. But how is it that we treat the church like the redheaded stepchild? But we don't treat the medical profession, the education profession, the law profession. How would you think if I walked up in some doctor's office and said, Well, listen, I've been on MD.com. And uh, I don't think that's the way you're supposed to do that surgery. I saw a video on YouTube. And I'm just saying, you know, man, 
get out of my face. I have not spent eight years in school studying for that. And then through the internship and all of this. How, how would people like it if I strolled up on your job site and you under the hood fixing a, you know, a car. And I'm, man, I don't even know what a crescent wrench is from a screwdriver. And I get up under there and tell you, I don't think, that little thingamajiggy don't look like it goes there. It looks like it goes here. And I'm like, if you just try to do it, man, he'd be wanting to pop me over the head with the crescent wrench. Because I'm not an expert in that field. But what we have today is everybody's an expert in everything. And we have a sovereignty of self. Like, I know how to govern myself. I don't need your help. And I'll do what I want to do. You do you, boo. That's just stupid. You do what's in your heart. Well, the scripture says the heart is deceitful among all things. And there is a way that thinks right. You do whatever you think you need to do. The scripture says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. You know, there are times we need some help. And we have, we have just relinquished. Really, not, I don't guess relinquished is the right word. We've really uh, rebelled against God. And we've said, God, we don't need you. And I'm going to figure this out. And so we subvert the word of God. And I'm going to tell you an area that this whole sovereignty of self. Well, how do you feel? What do you identify as? Y'all, I'm just going to tell you, I can't identify. Like, I can't come up here and say, uh, well, I'm Asian. I know I'm Asian. Because I love me some, you know, some... Chinese food. Well, I can't say I identify as Asian. And so therefore I'm an Asian. Why? Because my DNA can prove that I'm not Asian. When all that stuff started coming out, I said, I identify as a billionaire. <laughs> I feel like I'm a billionaire. So therefore I must be a billionaire. You know, I'm trans rich. You know? But I, I, can't, I can't be something just because I'm feeling that way. There's got to be some evidence. And so all of this stuff that has come out about, I'm just going to do me. However I feel is what I am. It's like, no, because there's a mountain. There is a hill that we have decided is the truth, the sovereign word of God. I don't tell the word of God to do. The word of God designs me and tells me what I am. And I want you to understand that today there is, a, there is a, an assault. God's standard of sexuality is under demonic assault. And this is a hill, my friend, that we cannot die on. This is a hill that we cannot let the enemy fully take from us. Listen, I'm just going to tell you and you would be you would be, uh, like I said, on an island by yourself if you cannot even realize this yet. But the enemy has taken massive ground in the area of sexuality. While the church has stood by, uh, while we've let it happen on, on our watch over the last many, many, many decades. This has not just happened overnight. 
The enemy has been at work for decades. This also is not something that just happened uh, uh, during the last century. This has been happening since before uh, Jesus' time. All the way back to Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember? When God destroyed that city because of their homosexuality. When God destroyed it because they would not repent. This goes way back. This goes back to the time of the Romans, the Greeks. It goes back to Jesus' day. Paul addressed it in his writings to the church. So this is not something new, guys. This has been, you know, it, there, it, it ebbs and flows and it raises its head at different times. And we are living in a time where that dragon has raised its head. And, and it is, it is it's proud and it's confident and that demon is bold. And so now that's why you see it on every television show. That's why you see like right now the United Methodist Church is, is, is splitting because their, uh, their, their denomination is embracing uh, homosexuality in the pulpit. Like you can be a practicing homosexual, not somebody who, uh, who, who has those feelings but they're not operating on. You can be a practicing homosexual and operate in the pulpit and perform the sacraments, the holy acts of the church and be ordained. And there's a group that are splitting off because they're saying, no, we're staying true to the word of God. And there's, there's this other uh, part of the church that's saying we're going to bow to current culture and so that denomination is splitting it's in the church man I'm telling you what we, when I say it's in the church I don't mean that people that struggle with that are in the church I'm talking about it is in the church as a mindset that this is now acceptable but what does God's word say we got to go back to that first mountain. We got to go back to that first hill and say, if we, if we say the word of God is our standard, what is God's standard? This is a demonic assault. It is so crazy. When you begin to study this, I mean, literally, you could go weeks on this and study this out. Now, whether you realize it or not, the word gender no longer means sex, male and female. If you don't know that, you're, you're not in the know yet. Because gender now means something totally different from that. It, it can sort of include it. But what's happened is culture is redefining words. And so the word gender no longer means that you are male or female. It means how do you feel? Like how do you want to express yourself? And Facebook has 70 plus genders. That you can choose from. There are more than that. But I don't understand how you can have that many. But you know there's transsexual. There's pansexual. There, I mean there's a bunch of them. So if you think about it. There are infinite genders. Because we can whatever we think we are. Therefore we are. And so when you start looking at this idea. This assault on God's standard, the sanctity. God created this. What did God intend for it to look like? And I want you to go to your scripture in Romans chapter 1. And I just want us to look back on 
what was happening in Rome around the first century. And I want us to go there and I want to go like, just imagine if this were written today and see, does it sort of sound like we're talking about the same? All right. So Romans chapter one, verse 18. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Does that sound like today? Like they suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. His eternal power and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God. But they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. God is a she. God is a, you know, thinking up crazy things. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Stop there for a second. In other words, God is saying, listen, even if nobody preached the gospel to you, you would know that there's a creator by just looking at creation. He says that they knew God, but they refused to worship him as God. Instead, they begin to make up their own idea of God. You know, it wasn't too much longer. I'm going to get on some of y'all that love Beyonce now. It wasn't too, too long ago that Beyonce, I don't watch Super Bowl. I just read all this stuff after the fact. But, you know, she gets on the stage and is outright operating in the demonic, yet the church cheers it on. Why? The, in other words, they're worshiping mere people. We worship different people in the media. We worship. We, we put so much, uh, so much I guess, clout or value in their opinions instead of God's. And we'll go to all kinds of sources except God's over here somewhere. So in other words, this is what he's talking about and how you can uh, liken it until today. And he says, so God abandoned them in verse 24. So God abandoned them. In other words, God said, you want to do it, do it. To whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. He says even the women turned against the natural way to have sex instead and they indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. 
and men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this shame or sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do their own things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. Like, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, we've seen that in our lifetime. Like, there are things I didn't even know existed. And I'm like, whoa. They, in, they invent ways of sinning. And they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. Yet, they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. You could take that and put it on any news station right now, and that could be the United States of America. That could be our nation and is that Paul is talking about. What I want you to understand is that what Paul is saying here is that, you know, this demonic assault, it didn't just happen yesterday. The enemy has been perverting, subverting, assaulting the word of God since the beginning back in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned against God and they welcomed the enemy in, we know that everything, sin, sickness, oppression, depression, all kinds of demonic things entered into the world. And that's why you and I live in what is called a depraved world. It's a world that, you know, we have to search for God. We have to find God because the enemy is so pervasive in everything that is happening. But praise God, he's allowed the church to be on the scene. And he's called us to be in the world, but not of the world. He's called us to be out there in the darkness. He's called us to be out there in the wickedness. And if I could just be completely transparent with you, I would rather not be in the wickedness. It's gross and it's an abomination and it doesn't feel good. And you know, you, but he's called us to be there. And he's called us to be there with light and love. And I see people out there, and I don't know if they're being light or not, but they're definitely not being loving. I mean, you know, God hates, well, God doesn't hate anybody. God hates sin. But he loves those people. And if we could begin to see people who are living outside of God's best for them and outside of God's identity for them, if we would begin to look at them through the eyes of Jesus, we would be looking. As a matter of fact, I was reading a book called I Want to Bear Fruit by a, a, a friend of mine, Chuck Quinley. He's a missionary. And it's all about bearing fruit and what that looks like and how we're supposed to live in the world. And he tells a story about how he went to the Philippines and he went there and there was a missionary friend that was uh, showing him around. And they went to the red light district where all the prostitutes are. And while they're out there, Chuck says, is that a prostitute? Because he had never seen one. And he was shocked. 
And the missionary says, no, that's a daughter of God who the enemy has, um, has pulled her into a life and convinced her she's a prostitute. That, that one statement changed my life. Because I had seen people through eyes, uh, 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 through, you know, well, they're a dope head or they're a drug addict. What, but if we begin to see them as, no, they're not that they're a daughter or a son of God that has been blinded. Because the scripture says that the, that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of men. Like they're blind. They don't know that it's wrong. They truly believe that what they're doing and how they're living is right. And so most of the time what we see as rebellion from the world is not rebellion at all. It's just blindness. They don't know that there's a better way. The enemy has convinced them otherwise. And if you and I, as we came into contact with them, I'm telling you what, wait, wait. No, I shouldn't say it like that. But if, any, any, if you know anybody personally that begins to deal with this or that or the other, It'll change, or it should, the way you think. A level of compassion will come upon you like you've never had before when it's somebody you know personally. I used to kind of look down my nose at people as weak when they suffered from things like depression. I'm like, get over it, dude. Like, God is, until I suffered from depression. And I don't, I don't look at people like that. I, a, a different level of compassion came over me for people. Because I now know what that feels like. It's a horrible feeling. And it's something demonic that will come over you. That you can break free. And all of these people that are out there, man. They can break free from these things. There are six things that I want to share with you. About sexuality. Okay, six things that I want to share with you. It's number one, that God defined and designed our sexuality. God is the one who designed. And he's the one who defines it. Define means the barrier, the boundary, the confines in which something operates. The context in which it operates. And I want you to look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says that so God created human beings in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, the end. A man is a man and a woman is a woman. There are no other there are no other uh, genders. It does not matter how you feel inside. You are either a male or you are a female. And culture will invent words. Like now it's our, the gender you were assigned at birth. Like and nobody just assigns you a gender at birth. A gender was assigned to you at conception. And it's defined by God. It's designed by God. And you can tell what you are by male and female chromosomes. And you can tell by your DNA what you are. And if you're born with a penis, you are a male. And if you're born with a vagina, then you are a woman. The end. God strictly puts that out there. And you know, the, the beautiful thing about this is that, that there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. 
There's nothing wrong with that. And the enemy has blinded the eyes of people because someone may feel a certain way and think that they are something else and put different things in their lives, circumstances in their lives to make them feel a certain way. But at the end of the day, what does God say I am? Not my feelings. Listen, I'm telling you, I have, I'm, I'm telling you what, I have had times in my life that if I went on my feelings, I wouldn't be on planet Earth. Because there are times on my, in, in my life that I felt worthless and I felt like taking my life. But going back to who does God say I am? How did God design me? What are the parameters that I'm supposed to operate? And God says, I created male and female. And I also created them to come together. And I designed them to have an intimate relationship together. And this is the confines and the context of how I've designed sexuality. Right now, today, there's an assault upon sexuality. And if you, if there's anybody in this room, because listen, church, we don't need to be ignorant. Like Paul said several times in scripture, brothers and sisters, I would not have you ignorant about spiritual gifts. Brothers and sisters, I would not have you ignorant. There are people in this room that you either have or are having confusing thoughts about yourself. The word for that today is either gender confusion or gender dysphoria. It means I'm confused. I don't know what I am or how I am. I just want to say to you, go back to how did God create you? It doesn't matter what your mind says. What does your body say? What does your physical anatomy tell you that you are? Well, preacher, don't you know? How ignorant can you be, preacher? Don't you know that there's such a thing as, you know, intersect? No, stop. The, the media can use that, but... Statistics are like there's one in 20,000. One out of 20,000 are actually born with some kind of deformity that they have either both sex organs that there has to literally have a choice made. And we want to be sensitive to those because, guys, that's a real thing. That truly happens. And as offensive as this may sound, that is no difference than you having been born with a deformity of maybe having, you know, six fingers instead of five. And I don't mean to sound like I am uh, callous or, or speaking down to that or belittling it, but it truly is a deformity. That is not how God designed it. Sin came into the world and it happens. People or children are born with spina bifida and all cleft palates and all kinds of things. The reality is we typically do not let children live with those. We fix that and try to bring it back into alignment of how God created the body to be. And so this assault that is on sexuality, there are people walking around that they they truly are walking outside of the knowledge that God says there's male and there's female. The end. The end. That is what I believe when I come into context or contact with somebody that believes outside of that. 
I am settled in my belief. I can hear your belief. I can be compassionate to you. I can let you even explain whatever it is that you want to share with me. But as for me, I've decided. And we have to go back. And we have to have moments like Joshua had when they were about to cross the river. And he said, listen to me, people of Israel. You can worship the pagans uh, uh, of, of the land that we came out of. There's going to be pagans that somewhere down the road and you can worship them. Or you can choose this day whom you will serve. But for Joshua and Joshua's house. We are going to serve the Lord. See, I've already had that Joshua moment in my life. That for me, I've already understood God's plan for sexuality. And it's male and female. The second thing is that our bodies are not our own. My body is not my own. There are actually multiple scriptures that say this. The one that we know uh, the, the uh, most I'll put on the screen in a minute. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where he talks a great deal about sexual immorality. He says you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord and the Lord cares about our body. Our bodies were made for God. And God cares about our body. Now this is the one that we like to quote often. And it's like Paul says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. My body is not my own. I can't just do with it what I want to. The scripture also says right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that don't you know that when you commit sexual sin that you are committing sin not just against yourself but against God because God lives in you. When we commit sexual sin, God, we are sinning against God himself. Because, like, listen, it's, it's, it's not like any other sin. Sexual sin is not like any other sin. Like if I lie on Shay and say something that's not true, that's against Shay and God is not pleased with it. But I didn't do it to God. Sexual sin is different because he's wrapped up like that old song we used to sing. I don't understand it and it doesn't make any sense. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled all up in Jesus. We're wrapped up, tied up. He, I mean, God is one with us. Like, he's, he's, like you can't separate us. So that when I sin sexually, I sin against God himself. Our bodies are not our own. The enemy has assaulted that. This is my body. I'll do with it what I want to with it. Can't nobody tell me. Sovereignty of self. I'm my own. You're not your own. We are God's. The third thing is our bodies were made to glorify him. I want you to think about this. I preached this years ago in the old building that we used to be in. And man, I had some religious folks upset with me. I think some even left the church. Because I said, sex between a man and a wife, a husband and a wife, is an act of worship. Woo! Man, you, 
I mean, I was kind of, you know, I was younger. <laughs> Y'all think the version of me is bad, you know, the, that version of me. I probably said some things that were like, baby, come on, we need to go home and worship. You know, I, I probably said things like that, you know, that really those things upset uh, religious folks. But listen to me. God created, I can sense it. Y'all, some of y'all out there are going, oh, I wish you would move on. I wish you would move on. I'm so uncomfortable. You know who ain't uncomfortable? God, definitely. But you know who ain't uncomfortable talking about this? The enemy. The enemy's not upset about it. He's not uncomfortable. He encourages it. That's why more people are out there. And the enemy has perverted. And we, you know, the assault's going on. But now, let's bring it back to God. Everything God does is holy. Everything. And when God created man and wife, he said, I'm creating you guys for the purpose of propagation. In other words, the race needs to go on. The human race needs to go on. And he also says that that's for our pleasure. And anything that God creates is pleasing to him. And so when a man and a wife operate in a godly sexual relationship, the Lord is very pleased with that. And if that rubs you uh, wrong, (laughs) Jesus, some of these people over here... They're like, preach, preach, pass, preach, preach, preach. But, but do you know what I'm saying? Like, when we operate within the beauty of that relationship, God is so pleased. He, he's so pleased. And that's why he does not want us to have sex outside of marriage because you become one with that person. And you soul tie yourself. You can't get closer than anybody on the planet other than a sexual relationship with them. That's the closest physically that you could ever get. And when you connect with someone through an intimate act, you connect and you begin to... uh, Your soul becomes attached to that soul. And that's why the Lord does not want that. In other words, he designed it and he defined it. And that's why it's got to be a holy act. It's got to be within the context of marriage. All right? So look at this. The scripture says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to present your bodies to God because all he has done for you Let them be a holy, let them, let our bodies be a holy and living sacrifice, the kind that God will find acceptable. This is truly the way. What's truly the way? Giving your body to God. It's not your own. The Lord gave that to you as a gift. We present it back to him. God, use me as you would. Use me as you choose to use me. That assault that the enemy has is, this is my body. I will do with it what I want. I will serve my body the way I want to. And I'll serve it up to who I want to. 
That's the demonic assault that's in our culture and pervasive right now. I want you to look at this. Sin seeks to destroy God's design. Sexual sin seeks to destroy God's design. John 10.10 says that I have come to give life and give it abundantly. But it also says that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's destroying it through this assault upon our culture right now. He's destroying, he's trying to destroy God's design. And listen to me. While I'm saying all of this, you and I, we know people that they're allowing the enemy to come against them and work against them and destroy their identity. And we need to be interceding and not giving up and operating in love towards these people. Because they are sons and daughters. They're children of God that the enemy has blinded. And until you know somebody personally, it's not personal. Let me say it again. Until you know someone personally that's going through this, it's not personal for you. See, there are some folks in the building that I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be comfortable sharing some of my family stuff with you. Because you're still operating in a religious mindset. I need people that I can come to, that I can be safe. Because the church needs to be a safe place. I think it, I'm, I'm going to speak on that in a minute. But it has not been and it still is not a safe place. People will go outside and talk about this before they come inside. I was sharing with someone that I can, um, I can remember Shay and I sitting under the pastorate of, of one of our former pastors. And I can remember him talking with such hatred and you know, I mean, there's no other way to say it. Just hatred of homosexuals and hatred of this and hatred of that and hatred of so many things. Now, he didn't call it hatred. He called it religious. Uh, you know, he called it being spiritual, but it was really religion. And he was so callous against people whose teenagers got pregnant and committed fornication until his daughter committed fornication and got pregnant. Oh, it's a different story now. What you going to do to that little bastard child? Now you understand. I don't believe that. But when you preach it, the scripture says, judge not unless you be judged by the same standard. So what are you going to do with that little out of wedlock kid? Guess what? They found compassion and humility and repentance. And love that little kid. It's a shame that it had to happen to them before they would allow that kind of compassion to flow through them. Sin seeks to destroy God's design. First of all, through fornication. We don't like to talk about that. If you don't know what fornication is, it's just a word that Paul uses to say. You know, if you're hooking up outside of marriage, it's wrong. It's wrong. Well, we're getting married in three months. Doesn't matter. It's wrong. It's outside of God's design. God intended sex to be between a husband and a wife. I can't tell you how many people that got down to the three-month mark. And Dog, I know some folks that got down to the one-week one mark and called it quits on their wedding. You know? No. You wait until you tie the knot. 
You wait until you are in covenant, and then that's something for you to experience as a couple. But there are so many young people and older people that experience this on a regular basis. And listen, I'm not up here and casting stones because I'm telling you before I knew the Lord, before I experienced, you know, uh, I didn't have a whole lot of training in this. As a matter of fact, I was encouraged as a young man. Man, you need to go out and you need to become a man. That's how you become a man. You know, I grew up under that. But then I got saved. And, you know, thank God because, you know, I didn't want to go down that road. But that's the road that I thought. That's, I had been blinded to that because that's what I was taught. And listen, it's being taught whether you know it or not. It's being taught among your kids. It's being taught in the school system. It's being taught on every television program you watch. It's just the norm. Sleeping around is just the norm. It's what society does. God says that's not okay. I'm not going to list the scriptures for you there. Adultery. Adultery is a sin that it's an assault on God's standard for marriage. There are people in this room, you have either committed adultery or you've had it committed against you. Your marriages have failed over that. It's a very painful thing. That's not God's plan for your life. That was not God's plan for the transgressor against you. But the enemy somehow blinded that person. And I'm telling you, there have been men far greater than myself that have stood in a pulpit like this, that have succumbed to adultery in their ministries. And somehow the enemy convinces them in an instant that all you've worked for, all the lives that you have impacted, it's worth it to take the risk for just this time or just this season and throw all of that away. The enemy is powerful in his, in his influence over people's mind when it comes to sin. So adultery, fornication, and then just kind of bringing it into like the vernacular, uh, the current culture. Homosexuality, there was a time where this was, um, where this was new. Remember back in like the 60s, 70s, this is new. If the music would come, this was new. This was, this was um, taboo. You know, you, you would have people say, you know, I think he's kind of, you know, like, you know. Remember, like, I don't, I don't know. I'm just thinking, like, now... It's not like that. It's no longer taboo, but it's accepted culture. We are in the middle now of another transition that's coming. No pun intended. But we are now in the middle of another transition where we've lost that mountain. We've lost that battle. It is already acceptable norm practice. To where the church is even embracing it in many denominations. Now the next move is transition. Like transgenderism. Like I am a man but I feel like a woman so therefore I'm a woman. And I'm going to go transition my body and I'm going to get the sexual organs to match it. I'm going to get all of those things and I'm going to present myself daily 
I asked Shay the other day, did you know that this particular movie star is now a, a, a male? Like, transition? It's normal. Like, li- listen. Do you realize? That, think about this. We are literally less than two generations away. Th- think with me. We are less than two generations away from transgender being absolutely normal without question. Why do I say two? Well, let me just take, for instance, I'm going to use some of the guys in here. So, uh, Isaac, you're one generation. This already is trying to impact that generation's way of thinking. Well, Isaac is going to grow up one day, and he's probably going to be a dad. He's going to be a great dad. He's going to have kids, all right? So by the time his kids get here, let's just think. If that ideology is successful in, uh, in getting Isaac to change his way of thinking from God's Word to current culture, he's going to raise his child with that. So two generations are where we are, folks. From this being absolutely, unquestionably the norm. And that's, that's frightening. That's why, Pastor Reif, what's the hope in this? Well, the hope is that you and I can make a decision, a Joshua moment, that we affirm God's standard of holiness, God's standard of sexuality, that it's sanctified, that it's holy, that He designed it, that He defined it. We can do that. And we can understand that the fifth thing is that we're all prone to sexual confusion, sexual deviations, and rebellion against God. Every person in this room, you are likely to give in And we go, well, you know, uh, man, I I would never commit this or that. Yes, you will say those things, but at the same time, you will commit other acts. Jesus, he said, if you even think it, you've done it. Like if you even look at that woman and lust for her, you've, you've, you've lusted. And I just listed those four, but there are so more. Pornography. Is, is, is another, and I mean, we could go on and on and on. The list is, is, is big of things that the enemy will use to tear down God's standard of sexuality. And every person in this room, every single one of us is prone to this. As a matter of fact, in that first script, uh, set of scripture that I read to you from Romans chapter 1, Paul goes on to say, but to the church at Rome. He says, but you will look down your noses. I'm paraphrasing. He said, you will look down at your noses at people who do some of those things, yet you do some of the same things yourself. In other words, what Paul is saying is, you'll say your sin is okay, but their sin is not. And listen, while all sin, you've heard this said, while all sin is the same, all sin is not the same. Whoever, if you've ever heard that said, it is not the same. There are different sins and they have different offenses towards God. But all sin offends God. We've definitely got that. 
But sexual sin is a sin that greatly offends God. And there's not a person in this room that probably you have not been uh, at some point in your life, in our lives. I know I haven't. Guilty of some sort of sexual sin. And this is what Romans says. For everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. Everybody. Fallen short of his standard. There's not a person in this room that can say, not me now, not me. Don't drag me into this. No, you. Every one of us. But, oh, look at verse 24. This is the good stuff. Here's the good news of the gospel. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for my Sin and your sin. The scripture says that when we come to him, we are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. I don't have to walk in that condemnation any longer. I had a young man to, um, to sit down with me just this week. And he has been someone who I've known kind of in a relationship Uh, Over the past several years, not closely, but he called me and he said, I need to talk to someone. And I guess he just felt like he said the Lord led me to him to me. And we sat down and we talked and he said, I want you to know I'm not here. But he said, I need to confess to someone you know, the scripture says, brothers and sisters, confess your sins to one another. There's, there's healing in confession. And he said, I've, I've confessed to the Lord. I've been walking for years in success in my life. But he said, I felt like I needed to just confess to someone, as the scripture says. And he said, I feel like this is my last He said, I'm not walking under any condemnation, but he said, I just want to be obedient to Scripture. And he sat there and he shared with me some things that he he had acted out of character for who he was. And he's confessing it and confessing it as in, I'm sorry that I let that momentary lapse in judgment cloud me and I turned into somebody who I wasn't I didn't even recognize myself when I looked in the mirror and the beauty of it is that every here's part of our conversation man all of that's under the blood that version of you doesn't exist God doesn't even know who we're talking about right now because somehow he sovereignly erased that from his memory number six is this The church, the body of Christ, that's us, must be a safe place for those who are searching. The scripture says this, for God, he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he sent him to save, to sozo, where there's salvation, there's deliverance, there's freedom, there's healing. God sent Jesus into the world so that the world would be saved through Jesus. Now Jesus is not in the world physically in body anymore. He's in heaven on assignment. But you and I are God's representatives in the earth. So that when we go out of this place, God 
Remember, God did not come and send His Son into the world to condemn it. So God didn't commission you to condemn it. God sent you and me into the world to save the world. We can't save them, but the one who's in us does. He sent us to save, to bring the message of salvation, to bring the message of deliverance, to bring the message of healing. That's the power that you and I have. The church has got to be a place that people who are struggling with this kind of thing can come and talk to us. We've got to literally. I told people years ago, in, um, I, I've told you this story, but I'm going to tell it again. Years ago, I had somebody write a letter to the church. Y'all remember me telling this story? They, they said, we've come, moved into the area, we'd love to come to your church. And at the, I'm, I'm like, yay. Every pastor is like, yay, I love it when people want to come to church. You know, that we want to come to church. We wanted to know if we would be welcome, signed, Tammy and Sally. And I realized, oh, oh, this is a lesbian couple. And so I responded back to them and I said, first of all, let me just say, that you are welcome at Destiny. I also want to say that while we will welcome you, we have beliefs that are different from your lifestyle. And I said, so you, you would need to understand that we would not preach a message that would condone your way of living. So I would love to sit down with you at lunch and just hear your heart, and you hear my heart, and us figure out how we're going to make that work. Because you're definitely not going to get a condoning message from me, but you will get a compassionate heart from me. Well, those people never responded to me after that. Um, I felt like it was a compassionate thing to do. I'm not even sure if it was a legitimate uh, lesbian couple or not. I stood up. On the next Sunday, and I told the church, hey, I got this letter. I'm going to meet these people if they will meet with me. And I don't know what that looks like. I've never faced this before. But they reached out, and I believe it's the gospel thing to do, to reach back. And I'm going to welcome them, not knowing what that's going to look like. And then I went into a story and I told them how a church in Birmingham, Alabama welcomed a gay couple, two males, and they loved them. And this was an old congregation, like old people, and they loved them. And the reason I say that is because sometimes you think the oldest, crotchety, religious people are old. I don't know why, but you know, I've met a lot of old religious folks, I'm just saying. And that church loved them and loved them. And loved them and loved them for about a year. Nobody once asked them, are you a couple? Nobody once addressed it. They just loved them. The people didn't bring it up. They didn't bring it up. The Spirit of God got on, those, on that couple. One of them said, I can't do this anymore. This is not God's design. We have to break up. 
this is not God's plan for me. That guy goes to, uh, goes to school, get his master's uh, in psychology, becomes a person who, I don't know if he planted, founded Exodus International, but, it's a, but he's part, very high up in the leadership, of uh, a, a group that helps homosexuals uh, receive freedom and Exodus come out of that lifestyle, all because a church... Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives are changed because some people said, we will love you. We will love you. And I, and I told that story. And I said, so next week, I'm not sure if Tammy and Sally are going to be here. But listen to me. If they come, our response is love the end. Our response is love. And if you can't keep your mouth shut and you say something dumb and you, you uh, are, are rude to them, you can expect a knock on your door from Pastor Rife because I am going to come set you straight. Well, that day, we lost at least one family and our biggest tither. <laughs> our bookkeeper came and said, hey, I just wanted to let you know that so-and-so is leaving the church. And, I, and, and we were a little church at that time and littler at that time. And I said, well, just tell, don't tell me they're our biggest tither. And they just started laughing. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because the word is our standard. The word is our standard, not mammon, ever. And so the body of Christ has to be a safe place for our church to, to like, we got to give people the opportunity to experience Christ. And my God, if your God is not bigger to influence them than their God to influence you, I'm just telling you, we are a powerless church. But in the presence is where hearts are mended. In the presence is where strongholds vanish. In the presence is where uh, lies are torn down. In the presence is where identities are restored. In the presence is where people find salvation and redemption and restoration. And that's the kind of church that Destiny Church has to be. Just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean I hate you. Just because I have a different view and my view is going to be founded on this doesn't mean that I can't have compassion on you. But guys, come on. Let's have a Joshua moment. So how can we activate this? I want to, I want to uh, take you into that and we're going to go home. But say this with me. This is our affirmation. This is like we need to have a Joshua moment that says, God... You designed and you defined my sexuality. God, you designed it. And so it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what you're doing right now. If you're living in a relationship with your, where you're having sex with somebody either outside of marriage or you haven't gotten married yet, but y'all plan to and yada, yada, yada. Like, listen, listen, listen. I'm just telling you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. He don't know what he's talking about. He's been married for 34 years to the same woman and blah, 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 blah. No, I, unfortunately, I did have sex outside of marriage. I wasn't taught well. I didn't have those standards drilled into me and, and, you know, and given to me as my foundation. But I'm so glad that I did. I'm so glad that I did. So that now I operate in a totally different realm. So say this with me, all right? God designed and defined our sexuality. 
God designed and defined my sexuality. God is the one who tells me how to operate. God is the one who gives me the context to operate in. And listen, that is the relationship that God will bless. Let me just end this with you real quick. So how can you activate this? How can you put this into action? Three ways. One, teach your children God's standard of sexuality. Teach your children God's standard of sexuality. Listen, many times when we teach on this, because the world has already begun the indoctrination, anytime we hear this kind of teaching, many of our children already are hearing us as bigots. Do you understand what I'm saying? Our children hear a message like I'm presenting today and they hear Pastor Rife being a bigot because the world is saying, oh, we have to accept everybody. We have to embrace everybody. We have to, yeah, we have to love everybody. That's, we have to love everybody. The end. But God, if you're different than what God's word says, what have you decided? What have you decided? And listen, if you're not teaching your kids this, the world is. The world is. Transvestites and drag queens are reading at the library. Maybe not in Daphne, Alabama, but it's just a matter of time. You understand, they're doing that at the public library. And when they, children are so impressionable, that's why the scriptures tell, tells us in Proverbs 22, 6, train them up, train your children, the young ones up. Not adults, train children up in the way they should go so that when they're older, they not, won't depart from it. That's why that when, you know, uh, uh, the uh, drag queens ask at the public library, how many of you want to become a transvestite and a, tra a drag queen uh, when, you, when you get older? Me, me, I want to. Why? Because they're training them up. They're training them up because children don't know what's best. And they don't always know what is right. Teach your children God's standard. What does God say and this, the second thing is engage people with love and compassion. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that we are supposed to engage people with love and compassion. Like when you come up with people who have a different view than you do, don't immediately go, oh, I'm offended. You know, I used to be in public and I operated in such a religious spirit that if somebody's cursing and they're using God's name in vain, I would get so upset and it would just get under my skin. And I would be like, I'm fixing to go over to that table and tell that jerk to shut his mouth and blah, blah, blah. You know, love of Jesus. Well, he's a sinner and he's doing what sinner people do. They don't know. That that's not right. They're operating the way they operate. And so I've begun to change. Like when I hear somebody and I feel my heart going, Ugh. if he uses that word one more time, I think I'm going to come unglued. I begin to go, that's religion. It's a hardening of your arteries. That's religion. It's a hardening of your heart. Change your heart the way you see that person. And begin to just interact with them. Go over and break the ice in a nice way. Do you think for a minute that if I went over and said, Hey, ma'am, I got my wife at that table. You need to watch your mouth. You think, 
first thing he's going to do is stand up about two feet taller than me and go, I'll punch you in the face, jerk. You know, and then where, where does that get me? Beat up. <laughs> Instead of engaging from a different way in love. And then the last thing that he says in 1 Peter 3.15 as well, he says, be able to give a defense for our faith with gentleness and compassion. Like, be able to give a defense. Like, the wor- listen to me, the world knows what they believe. I had a, a conversation with somebody about uh, sexuality recently. And dude, they had read up every article. They had every argument poised and ready. If I came from one direction, they came from another. They had an arsenal of knowledge and information from the world's point of view. They were ready to give a defense. And what that does to Christians, if you haven't decided and had that Joshua moment in your heart, and if you don't know what the Word of God is, the enemy comes in and he's like uh, that Jim Carrey uh, the mask movie where, you know, all of a sudden it's like, and you got like 80 guns sticking out of your body. That's how the enemy comes at you with all of their arguments and their proud arguments that they'll bring against the gospel. And you're, you're intimidated because you don't have one argument. You don't have anything. And the scripture says, just have a defense for your faith. And your defense doesn't have to be to win them over. Your defense doesn't have to cast them down. Your defense simply can be, I believe in God's design. God designed, but man and woman, the end. That's where I stand. But you don't understand. There's this, that's great if you believe that, but I believe God's design. I love you, man. The end. The end. That's it. So... I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for drinking in the word of God today. I pray that this is something that you will take to heart. Because guys, listen to me. This isn't going away. It's not. It's not going away. But you and I have the greatest opportunity to be the light in the darkness. Probably of any other generations that have lived on the face of the earth. Maybe with the exception of those who are going to you know, be right up at the great tribulation.